When husband and wife songwriting team Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez wrote the song Let It Go for Disney's Frozen, little did they know that their ditty about a villain would turn into a spiritual anthem, selling over 10 million copies around the world and winning the Oscar for Best Original Song. Well, they're back this year at the Academy Awards with the song Remember Me from Disney Pixar's Coco. It's the backbone to an animated film about Dia de los Muertos. We're here with them and they're here singing with us on Crew Call. Let's start off with, tell everyone how you met. We met at a writing workshop, um, a free writing workshop in New York. BMI Musical Theater Workshop. And he was um, doing a concert and singing the first two songs he had ever written for Avenue Q. Yeah, I was um, just um, trying. I was living with my parents and trying to start my career off. And uh, you know, thought for some reason that a puppet musical about growing up, I mean, about sort of real life, um, would would be a good idea. And um, I was also um, looking for a girlfriend, um, coincidentally. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we had. Uh, um, Actually, my a dog. I, I had a dog bite, and I couldn't play the piano. So I was forced to play the girl puppet, and my collaborator played the piano. And so I walked in with this red yarn wig, because we didn't have puppets yet. You weren't wearing the wig yet. Oh. So he, he walked into the room <laughs> of of this this smoker concert. They called it. It was the best songs of the year, and I had this like electrical moment where I was like, that's the man I'm going to marry. I I don't know him, but I love him. Um, and I hope he's not too young or gay. Uh, <laughs> and then he proceeded to put on the red wig and play a female puppet. And then after that, I went up to him and gushed. I just was like, oh, that was the greatest thing. Oh, my God. Avenue Q is the greatest project. It's going to be a huge hit. How can I help? And Bobby was like, this woman wants me. This, this, could, this could answer the girlfriend question. <laughs> and he slipped me his demo CD. Or was it a demo tape? It was. was a, we were right in that tape to CD yeah. moment of 1999. I'm not sure we had the CDs yet. I think it was all tape. It might have been a tape. I got a tape that had his phone number on it, but it so happened that I was singing a song for his class the next day. He was in the third year, I was in the first, and I was singing a song about going over Niagara Falls in a barrel that goes something like, Niagara Falls, I hear you calling me, your watery walls. I forget the rest of it, but um, I sang that, and then we all went out to a diner, and it was just sparks. We just yeah. had definite sparks. And then he emailed me saying, hey, I think you're cool. No, I think you're neat. Do you want to get coffee or a beverage, apostrophe, I mean, parentheses, with me? <laughs> um, and I responded back, and the rest is history. We broke up a couple times in the middle of that. Yeah. This is relationship 4.0. Something like that. Now. It was at that workshop that, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, you went from deciding to be a performer to a lyricist? That is right. Um, I, was a, I was a mediocre musical theater actress. If not true. From not that true. Oscar, <laughs> from that Oscar <laughs> concert two years ago. Well, you got to stop saying that. This is, 
You you are. She's actually really. Oh, good. She is good. really good. Well, yeah. back in the day, if there was a nonsense two to be done in, in Nashua, New Hampshire, I was your girl. That was that was my gig. And at a certain point, I realized I was rewriting the lyrics backstage all the time. And someone said, "You're a lyricist," and I said, "What do I do? I don't know what to do with that. What do you?" do with that and I applied to this workshop and I will say that the first time I presented my first song and it went over really well my first song I just it was like the skies parted it was like this is what I'm supposed to be doing and the song was the song was how to say goodbye to Randall High it was your first assignment at BMI is a either a sad goodbye or a happy hello mm. or happy goodbye or a sad hello <laughs> happy goodbye or sad hello this was a happy goodbye from a valedictorian who might not have been at the top of the social hierarchy um, basically I remember this taking song. this you, moment you it ended with it was like a send-off, like, an, you know, sort of an F you to the rest of the students. And it ended with like a, and that's how you say goodbye. I let the record show. I just performed just a rude gesture. He just did a rude gesture. He, that's how you say goodbye to Randall High. <laughs> Basically, it was pre-Elsa moment when you think about it. It was this person who had been so perfect and been holding all of this stuff back, just getting back at the jocks and the popular people and all the people who had tortured her. And she was saying goodbye to it all. Now the the workshop ends. What 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 happens next? Is it Avenue Q or does Disney knock on your door? Both. It's kind of both yeah. in a weird way. We, I was working on Avenue Q since we very first met, and um, that was sort of concomitant to trying to make money. You know, because when you're writing a Broadway show, it's all on spec, and you don't make money unless the um, unless the show get happens and is a hit. So we were scrapping around for jobs and one of the jobs we knew from the class we knew this music supervisor of bear in the big blue house and he was offering uh people he liked in the workshop a song or two here or there for for, for some change and um and he offered me um uh a, a slot songwriting gig yeah. um, and because we weren't able to see each other very much because I was teaching um, musical theater to kids in the Bronx and waking up at like six in the morning and teaching all day and Bobby was waking up just about the time I got back from from teaching in the Bronx um, and then working all night on Avenue Q one night he called me. I was like, oh, "We're not seeing a lot of each other. <laughs> I don't know how long this is gonna last." Um, and he was like, "Why don't you come over and write this song with me?" Um, and and I took the bus from Astoria to Greenpoint, and uh, we that was our first song we wrote together. And somebody played it for us today. It was called "The Wide Wide World," uh, and it was for Bear in the Big Blue House, and it had oyster and clam jokes. In it. The wide wide world. It's open and free, the road, the wind, the sun and the sea. I hear adventure calling to me out there in the wide, wide world. That's awesome. So then once, <laughs> once you're in with Disney, you're, you're essentially, I mean, you're essentially in and, and how does it... No, actually, that was a completely different branch. How we... I think how we first got into Disney, Disney was I was hired because I had written these condensed versions of like it was called Oedipus Acapella and then another acapella show called Condensed Classics. 
they hired me to condense Finding Nemo and create a Finding Nemo musical for the parks. And I did a whole treatment and was able to see the architecture of how you could do it. And then they, when it got approved, they said, is there a composer you'd like to work with? And I was like, well, I know this guy, Bobby Lopez, he just won a Tony for Avenue Q and we've been wanting to work on something. So it was actually Finding Nemo um, that was our first big show that we worked on together. That's where we met uh, Chris Montan, um, who is a, you know, a big figure in Disney music. And I think got some attention of some of the folks at Pixar. We met John Lasseter. And John Lasseter. That was Andrew the first, Stanton, first yeah. like musical uh, treatment John Lasseter had really been part of and, and been part of creation of, the creation of. Um, and I, that was also where we got into John's family. Now, jumping to Let It Go, did you guys ever think after you wrote that, after you wrote that song, that it would become something even more than what it meant to the film? Because I, I remember I was back in the press room when you when you got your Oscar for that, and I was in near tears uh, of what you were saying. You were saying that you were getting messages from 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 parents whose kids survived cancer of what this song meant. This song became such an emotional anthem. Did you guys have any idea it was going there? We never. Was it? Were you no. even given that direction? Like, hey, by the way, this is what we need right here. <laughs> no, honestly, it was a villain song. It was in in the slot. Am I allowed to use um, the word ass on this show? Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, it was called. We called it Elsa's badass song, and she was a villain. Um, but when we um, when we went to actually write it and we started thinking about what it would be like to spend your life feeling the need to be this perfect and working so, so hard to keep this secret shame inside um, that this was a very empathetic, this is a moment that we could feel a lot of empathy for. We didn't want to villainize her. And we started... Well, we did, we did put some lyrics in there which with a mind towards... Um, the villain and bringing Elsa more towards the dark side, like um, let the storm rage on and no right, no wrong, no rules for me. Those were those were lines we put in to to help the the journey towards villainesshood, and um, we left them in even after everyone heard the song and said, "Oh my gosh, we have to rewrite this movie. We have to make it about this girl, and this girl is the, the one of the heroes, not the villain." Um, but we left those in because it it really felt like a well-rounded depiction of someone who has to reject societal norms in order to be herself. Um, and I think some of those lines, the more um, defiant lines in the song are the ones that uh, you know most people identify with because everyone has this rebel inside them um, that wants to break free of, of all of the limitations that are put on them by society. But no, we didn't ever know that it was going to be what it was. Um, and and it means so much to us even now when someone comes out and says, uh, you know, my, my kid listened yeah. to Let It Go right before she told me that she was gay or whatever. I, I think it's really, um, that's really one of the amazing byproducts of what we do is we often take our own personal experiences and put them into songs and to find out that they resonate with other people um, makes us feel like, okay, 
we'll continue to put our own very specific, very personal emotions into a song because the more specific we are, sometimes the more it will actually resonate. Now, when you first when you first handed in the first version of that, did was it did all the Disney guys were they just like oh my was it right there and then that they decided to change the the I think so the, yeah. the, the yeah. point of view of the movie yep it yeah. seems to be that uh, Jen at least that's how Jen tells the story they, Jennifer Lee Jennifer Lee our our amazing collaborator on Frozen Frozen Broadway and now Frozen Two um, but she does say that she heard the demo and kind of went okay I've got to rewrite. All of Act One. <laughs> and you sang on that demo. I did sing yeah. on that demo. I do yeah. actually, I remember recording that demo and loving the feeling of singing this song. <laughs> she kept saying, one more take, one more take, one more take. One more take. Uh, the poor neighbors. Um, we were in like a studio apartment above a Greek restaurant in Brooklyn. And it was like, let the storm rage. I won't do it on your microphone. But the on is a very hard vowel to sing on a very high note um, but I had so much fun doing it and I there was something in that that if I'm having this much fun doing it probably other people will too it's a fun song to sing what is what is your writing process well do you have a studio in your house what's your writing process like is it is it sometimes evening sometimes the day are you very we flexible? keep hours we we sort of go to work we have a we have, now have a studio outside of our house which is great because it's nice to keep the separation it's nice to have a reason to put on clothes in the beginning of the day <laughs> we walk um, a half a mile and kind of switch hats and then we can also keep work there the other day we had to rewrite some stuff before we came out here on like a saturday night and yeah, Bobby, I'm not used to it. Bobby just puts his head on the piano. It's like, I can't write at night anymore. <laughs> um, we do have young kids that wake up at 6.45 a.m. So it's by the end of the day, we're ready to watch This Is Us. Um, I heard a great story. I was just, I was wondering if you ever heard this. Just because it reminded me of the success of Let It Go. And then it reminds me of the success of It's a Small World. One of the, 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 the the Sherman brother that's still alive tells a story about, I don't know if you've ever Richard, heard yeah. this. Richard? Yeah. yeah, Richard tells a story about when they first wrote It's a Small World. They're sitting in the back of the car, of Disney's car, mm -hmm. and they're just like, well, what do we do with the residuals from this right. song? <laughs> and, and they're like, I don't know, maybe we'll give it away. And, and Disney literally went, and pulled to the side. He says, what are you guys, crazy? <laughs> yeah. Don't you dare... He's like, you keep every single nickel of that residual. It's gonna send your great yeah. grandkids to college. <laughs> yeah, he said, feel free to feel free to donate as much of it as you want. Don't give away the rights. Yeah, yeah, that was the thing. He was, um, but um, I, I gotta think they they give you some sort of ownership a little with the song a bit. We do, yeah. we do. I mean, I'm not supposed to go into contract yeah. stuff, but um, <laughs> we we have a piece of it. For sure. It's not going to send our great-grandkids to college, um, <laughs> at least th that I can tell, un unless, um, you know, like they make a hologram world of Let It Go or something. <laughs> um, but uh, we, we certainly can't complain. Yeah. And the it's so interesting because the Sherman brothers um, are huge inspirations for us. Uh, that song, um, It's a Small World. It, it can work in many different ways in many different contexts. Yeah, that was one of the, um, in a weird way, 
the story of the the way the Sherman Brothers wrote that song. They wrote it as a prayer for peace. They it when and when they first made their demo of it, it was very quiet and hymnal, and it was um it it was like there's a world of laughter, a world of tears. There's a world of hope and a world of fears. There's so much that we share that it's time we're aware. It's a small world after all. And, um, and these beautiful, meaningful it, chords underneath that give you chills. It felt, it felt like world peace in mm-hmm. a song. And then, um, you know, the song is, is amped up for the ride, so it feels like a, a sing-along, and it works in both of those ways. But when we wrote um, Remember Me, what Lee Unkrich first asked us to do was, is the, can you write a song that's short, um, emotional, and that means, com- you know, there's a version of it that's completely shallow and completely about all about me and then there's a version of it that's a that's a lullaby that you're giving to your kid um and we thought of richard sherman and that story when we were writing remember me and how a song can be changed in its delivery so they they had the idea of doing different versions for different characters they they definitely um we were involved very very much from the very beginning but by the time we knew we were doing a musical or a lot of uh, using music as the emotional turning point of the story and we knew we were operating in the day of the dead um, that's when Lee came to us and said can you write a song that can mean two different things depending on whether you are giving it as a gift to someone or you're taking applause from the world that was one of the things we were really interested in exploring and we are always interested in exploring that um, because it's a pivotal thing when you are an artist when you go from being someone who's like mom dad look what i can do look what i can do clap for me in the high school play to uh, the shift in your brain where you go i'm in service of all those people who paid tonight to have an emotional experience Um, and it's a very different way of thinking about your art and uh, yeah, it goes to the function of what art is. Is it this thing that you use to show off to get attention on yourself, or is it something that you are, like Kristen just said, in service um, of, of other people? And I think you know what's one of our fundamental core beliefs about art and why we do what we do that it's about it's about fulfilling a role in society and giving something to people. And in the case of this lullaby version. Um, a lot of a lot of the songwriting we do is is very private and for our children. We've written lullabies for them since they were born, and we especially write lullabies when we're leaving to come to LA and leaving them in Brooklyn. Um, we kind of leave them with these little songs to sing to tuck themselves into bed so we can feel connected. So this was in our wheelhouse of writing a song that was a lullaby from a traveling musician to his daughter who he hated to leave. Um, that was something I knew a lot about uh, as a parent. And then to have the fun puzzle of taking that very personal song and making it like, remember me, ladies, you know, remember me when I say goodbye, um, was a really fun puzzle for us. Now, it, it, it so what's beautiful is it, it really is like a Mexican standard. It reminds, you know, it's something like, 
if if there was a Mexican Frank Sinatra, there was would. Pedro Infante and Jorge Negrete. Mm-hmm. They were the Mexican Frank Sinatras of the the thirties and forties. They were movie stars and crooners, and they sang these these standards with these very strong melodies, um, and that's what we were channeling with with him and, and with that character. And it was really fun to have to do something that worked on both levels. The, the the songwriter who's doing it to send a message and make the world a better place, and then the showboater who's doing it to be a headliner. Now, tell me about starting off. Was it was it very, like, did you know it was Remember Me immediately that that would be the title of the song? You know, they suggested that title to us, and uh, Lee, Lee and, uh, and uh, the screenwriters. Matt Aldrich. Yeah, Matt. Um, they they had um, tentatively titled it Remember Me, and we didn't decide to change that because we thought it was perfect. Um, and that's one of the th- good things about Pixar; they know a thing or two about perfect. Um, <laughs> and uh, and we didn't want to we didn't want to change that on them. Well, and and it was so great because it was so on theme about about it just worked in so many ways. The idea of Remember Me through the movie, all the way to the end, that uh, is so beautifully rendered. I don't want to give it away here. Um, but now you go. Oh, so so we <laughs> we talked and talked about you know the the story, and we went on a journey of discovery about Mexican music. We had a consultant who came in and and taught us about different uh, all the different eras of it and the different the different varieties of folk and pop Mexican music. We took a deep dive into Mexican musicology, which was really a gift for us. It was like taking a college course way out of college. And we knew we had to write a song that felt like a big hit in within the movie and hopefully um, you know outside the movie just to anyone listening to it that would like it and um, and so we we listened to you know I don't think Camilo showed us these songs but we listened to like the top five Mexican hits of all time like La Bikina and Besame Mucho. Besame. Besame mucho. And then we thought about, you know, what's what's maybe the greatest ballad of all time. Um, you know, we thought about those songs, regardless of Mexico, just to just to get our heads in the in the world of number one hits, because this was supposed to be a number one hit from the '30s and '40s. Right. And then Bobby, um, you know, fueled with all of this stuff and talking, basically sat down at the piano in his boxer shorts and played <laughs> uh, like before he had gotten dressed for the day, <laughs> and was noodling around and found this beautiful melody and I said play that into my iPhone and he played it into my iPhone and I said I have to go into Manhattan I'm going to write the lyric on the train and I jumped on the F train in Brooklyn and by the time I came out in Manhattan Midtown I had the lyric I love it and uh, but that was after months of talking and building these characters um, but it was e- very easy to channel, to know the puzzle I had to do and to channel my feelings as a mother every time I have to leave my kids for work. Um, it, it just sort of poured out. Not every song does that. Now with each character that sings it, d- did you change up the lyrics? No. Is there a stanza that's different? No, from song to song? No, it's the same, it's the same in every time. Uh, there's three major um, renditions of it in the movie and it's the same song every time. Um, the we only... gave ourselves that rule. We were like, it has to be the same. If we have to change a word, then it's not the right word. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> and but we and we didn't change any chords either. The same chords, same notes of the tune, um, different arrangement, different tempo. Um, so so Ernesto de la Cruz, who's the big um, crooner in the in the beginning, um, sings it as an up tempo, and um, it's a very much a mariachi style song. <laughs> Say goodbye, remember me Don't let it make you cry For even if I'm far away I hold you in my heart I sing a secret song to you Each night we are apart and then, um, and then when you hear Hector Who's the true songwriter of it um, remember, this is a story about a songwriter. So we were like, "Oh my God, we get to we get to write a song." Write, a story write this about what it's like behind the scenes, <laughs> how the sausage is made. <laughs> um, <laughs> then he plays it on a solo guitar uh, in the for, in the way that he intended it, and uh, we thought it was a really cool reverse um, surprise. Remember me, though I have to say goodbye. Remember me. Don't let it make you cry For even if I'm far away I hold you in my heart I sing a secret song to you Each night we are apart And then you get to see his grandchild sing it and, and connect and be, you know, solve the entire story Remember me Though I have to say goodbye, remember me. Don't let it make you cry. For even if I'm far away, I hold you in my heart. I sing a secret song to you each night we are apart. Um, and, and there's actually, if you see the movie more than once, which you should, because it's a beautiful movie, and not necessarily because of us, but because of what Pixar did with it. Um, the there are like 17 different versions of "Remember Me" sprinkled throughout in all the different genres of Mexican music. So it's also like a little um, 101 course in Mexican musicology. Mm. You get the Norteño version, the Banda version, the San Jerocho version. Um, they really did their research uh, with with this song. And I think that probably goes to Jermaine Franco, one of our collaborators, who um, helped execute. She orchestrated uh, Remember Me. And ex yeah, and, and also a co-composer. She wrote many of the other songs in the movie. Um, and just the, the general feeling Pixar had, which was we need to honor and celebrate this culture authentically, not our idea of what Mexico is, but actually make sure that, that we have real Mexican artists with us all the way saying, this is true, this is us. Um, and I'm very, very proud to be one small part of that. Now, oh, sorry. Oh, just to go, go back to your original question, um, that we did expand the song for pretty recently, within the last year, I guess, to create the the end credits version that's sung by Miguel and Natalia Laforcade. So there's we created the 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 full length. There is another verse. There's a new, there's a bridge, and um, and you hear it on that version at the end of the movie, um, which was nice to do. Right, that was really sort of an end note 
to the whole thing was getting to go back and and write a little fun pop dancey version of it. Now this the the song hat. So after you hand the song in, are you guys very fortunate? You don't you get very little notes, or is there kind of, or is there like, well, we need this, <laughs> we need a bouncy C here, or. Well, <laughs> with this particular song, yeah, um, it was pretty much it was it kind of is the architecture they used to build the whole story right. around. Um, with other songs, when there was a moment we were exploring, how are we using music? Is this going to be a burst into song kind of musical? Yeah. Um, with those songs, we got plenty of notes, and it you may notice it is not a burst into song musical. It is a story with source songs. Um, because when the story is moving, it's you're, it's like a moving target. Um, and it, creating an original musical while creating an original story is one of the hardest things a, a team can do. Um, and we we sort of at a mo at a key moment decided, you know what? Authenticity is going to be, be the main focus and um, let's use music as source songs that are n really occurring in reality. And um, and in that case, it was really best to use Mexican artists. Now, in the in the production process of the film, you write the song. Do, did you did you did you complete this like two years ago and then they animated from there that yeah, that's essentially it, it's basically like this song is like finding $20 in your coat pocket um, <laughs> that from the coat you hung up two years ago. Uh, and you're like, oh, $20. I needed this. Um, I wasn't expecting to get this. Yes. No, I mean, we we when we first wrote the song, we read it. There was no there were no storyboards yet. There were no images at all. And we had a, a big table and a bunch of people reading from scripts and we pressed play on a boombox when Remember Me would come up in the story. And it made us all cry. It was the same, you know, it was it it, it was affecting. And then um, then they would storyboard it. It never changed. It was always those three spots and it always worked. And every, the rest of the movie would change. Um, but when we finally saw the clips of the animation um, and the level of detail and the level of care and love that had been put into every frame of it. Uh, that's when we really looked at each other and just, We're so you know, lucky. just embraced each other. How like, did we get to work with these geniuses? Yeah. We, we used to joke 15 years ago when we were working on Finding Nemo, we went to visit Pixar and we would come home and we were like, Pixar's mother, Pixar's father, um, because it just seemed like this utopian place for artists to be. I mean, they they have like like clay making workshops in the middle of the day, or like let's bring Brene Brown to talk to us about the power of vulnerability, just because as artists we should know the power of vulnerability. Um, Pixar is a really amazing place, and it's full of incredible incredible artists uh, at every level in every department so our song really benefited from that my last question to you is um what advice can you give to uh inspiring songwriters was really funny maybe because it's paul mccartney i remember talking to him a while ago and he's like, people, like he'll be asked to go teach a songwriting seminar. He never has any advice. I think because it just. <laughs> <laughs> like, it just came from him. It like, just came from like, him. Oh, I don't know. He's like, just, I you just write a song. Yeah, you just write a hit. That. But I mean, is, um, 
for you know, um, what what's your advice to aspiring uh, songwriters? If you had one one piece to give them, you want to go pieces? first. Sure, I guess. I mean, you know, uh, just in terms of musical theater songwriters, our always our advice is always move to New York and join the BMI workshop when you're old enough. Anyway, it's one stop shopping for a career <laughs> and a husband. <laughs> um, it's where we found out about this whole idea of, you know, not finding out why you write finding out that you're writing for an audience and to connect. And that class became the people we connect, we tried to make our work connect with. And and then, you know, the two of us, you meet you meet your collaborators, you meet your best friends, you meet your colleagues in the future. Um, you know, like uh, there were so many now famous people in my class. It's very, it's very cool place to go and uh, and develop. And without it, I don't think I'd be where I am. Um, circling back to something we talked about earlier, I think the best piece of advice is figure out what it is you have to give to the world. Figure out what it is that you really, only you can say, and then go and say it uh, again and again and again. Um, I think that so many of us get caught up in ego and and like, how am I doing? What do you think of it? And if you're reacting like that, you can't really write a song that's going to resonate. You have to write from from a place of giving. I think the other piece is resilience. You just got to be resilient in this business. You're going to write a bunch of songs. Some of them will work. Some of them will be great but they won't work for the moment or for the person you're trying to sell them to. And then you have to take a second, feel your feelings, <laughs> eat a bagel, and then go back to it. Maybe don't eat a bagel. Maybe eat like chicken or shrimp and some vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> but just get back up on your feet in the best way and do it again and do it again. As long as you believe you have something to say, then you can do that. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to the Crew Call podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, make sure to subscribe for this and all other Deadline podcasts in the podcasts app, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week. Remember me Though I have to say goodbye Remember me Don't let it make you cry For even if I'm far away I hold you in my heart I sing a secret song to you Each night we are apart Remember me Though I have to travel far Remember me